Hi, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. This is the next to last episode of the story of Jesus. Before we begin, I have an important content note. This is the part of the story where Jesus dies. Um, that's not really a spoiler. Jesus has been talking about it this whole time. The Gospels mostly did not go into great detail about the physical ordeal that Jesus goes through, but I was always told it was because they didn't need to because people at the time were very familiar with how the Romans executed people. I'm going to leave out most of the details because they are disturbing and this is a podcast for children. However, if we're going to tell this story at all, it's going to be by its nature kind of disturbing because it involves torture and death. So, parents, you know your kids and what they may be able to handle. Some of my adult listeners like to give each story a listen first before sharing it with their kids. So if you think your kids can't handle this part of the story, the good news is that the next episode, number 27, which will be the final episode in this story may be more suited for them. It touches on Jesus' death again, but it's mostly about what happens after that. And with that, let's begin. So you remember Jesus has come to Jerusalem. Jesus has been arrested. Peter denied three times that he even knew Jesus, just as Jesus foretold. Meanwhile, Caiaphas, the high priest, succeeded in getting Jesus to say he was the son of God in front of the entire Sanhedrin. And they voted Jesus guilty of blasphemy and condemned him to death also just as Jesus foretold, because he's like always foretelling things and he's like always right. Um, but the Sanhedrin did not kill Jesus. In their view, it was too risky because Jesus was so popular with so many of the people. They needed someone else to take the responsibility of Jesus' death. And the obvious choice was Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who lived in Jerusalem. The Romans had ruled over the Jewish people for nearly a hundred years. If you're not familiar with the Roman Empire, you might want to look it up. It controlled this entire region of the world for a very long time. The Romans gave the Jewish people a certain amount of freedom to govern themselves, but a Roman governor stayed in Jerusalem and there were Roman soldiers throughout the region to make sure people paid taxes to the emperor and didn't get any ideas of rebelling. And there were people trying to rebel. Uh, Pontius Pilate is a real historical figure like Caiaphas. We don't know that much about Pilate, but we do know he was not popular with the Jewish people. That's not surprising since his task was to rule over them on behalf of Rome, and they were not happy being ruled by a different country. Like is fairly normal for humans. Pilate clashed with the Jews several times that we know of, and there were probably other times that we don't know about. Uh, let's take a moment here and talk about the possible differences between the stories and the, that the Gospels tell about Jesus and Pilate and Caiaphas and what actually happened in history. Because remember, this story is just a story. Probably most of it, maybe all of it, is made up. We don't know for sure what happened. We don't even know for sure if Jesus was a real person, anything like in the, this book or based on a real person at all. We do know that during this time period, there were lots of young Jewish men who led rebellions against the Romans. Rome usually tried to squash these rebellions quickly and kill their leaders. It seems possible that there was a leader named Jesus who was captured by the Romans and put to death during this time without Caiaphas or the Sanhedrin being involved at all. Uh, basically just based on what we know about Rome. And then Jesus' followers maybe, maybe they built a religious movement around his memory and wrote stories about the death being caused by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders. Possibly. Remember that most of what the Gospels say Jesus taught, except the stuff about him being the son of God and the only way to get to heaven, was pretty consistent with other Jewish rabbis from this time. The Gospels say Jesus was a threat to the religious establishment and not to Rome, but it seems more likely, again, based on what we know from history, that this was the other way around, that Jesus was agreeing with the religious establishment and against Rome's rule. Uh, but anyway... 
that's not the story we have today. That's not the story we're telling you. We're telling you the story presented in the Gospels. So we will now return to that. Um, it was dawn on Friday, and the religious leaders were meeting at the temple. They were getting ready to send Jesus over to Pilate, hoping they could get Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, to kill Jesus. Jesus' followers had scattered. Peter had run away from the high priest's house after denying Jesus. John seems to have been in the house during Jesus' trial and, has, and quietly kept up with what was happening. So did another of Jesus' followers named Mary Magdalene, who we'll get to in the next episode. She's a really cool character, so look forward to that. The other disciples were mostly hiding, afraid that the religious leaders might come after them too. But now one of the twelve marched into the temple right up to the religious leaders. It was the traitor, Judas Iscariot. The night before, Judas had led a crowd of guards and servants up to the Mount of Olives to find Jesus. He had greeted Jesus with a, kit, with a kiss as a signal to make sure the guards grabbed the right guy. The Gospels don't say what he did for the rest of the night, but in the morning he saw that the Sanhedrin had condemned Jesus to die, and he realized, too late, he had made a horrible mistake. He walked into the temple holding the bag of money that the religious leaders had given him, 30 silver coins. He held the bag up in front of Caiaphas and said, I've sinned, for I've betrayed an innocent man. I don't want this money anymore. Caiaphas shrugged. He'd already gotten what he wanted out of Judas, and now he was focused on how to handle Pontius Pilate. He said, Judas, that's your problem. We gave you the money in return for giving Jesus to us, and you did that. We don't want the money back. Judas began to despair. There was no way of undoing what he had done. He couldn't escape the guilt he felt over betraying Jesus. Since Caiaphas would not accept the money, Jesus threw the bag onto the steps of the temple. The bag broke and the coins spilled down the steps, and Judas ran out of the temple. And that was the last time anyone ever saw him alive. Caiaphas and the other religious leaders picked up the coins Judas had thrown. We can't put this money in the temple collection, they said. Our laws don't allow us to accept money that was paid for murder. This is blood money. Of course, they were the ones who had given the money to Judas for helping them to murder Jesus. Later, the leaders discussed what to do with the money and decided to use it to buy a field, which they would use as a burial place for foreigners who died in Jerusalem. The field would become known as the field of blood because it was bought with Judas's blood money. And now the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate's palace with Jewish temple guards handing him over to the Roman soldiers. Caiaphas and the others refused to go into the palace because Pilate was a Gentile, meaning he was not Jewish and was against their laws to enter the house of a Gentile. Pilate, hearing that they wanted to talk to him, came outside to hear what they would say. What's your charge against this man? Pilate asked. What are you accusing him of doing? The religious leader said, we wouldn't have arrested him if he weren't a criminal. And then take him away, Pilate said, and judge him according to your own laws. But we want him crucified, Caiaphas answered, and that's something only you can do. Crucifixion, being crucified, dying on a cross, was a Roman form of execution. They would take two large beams of wood and nail them together in a T-shape, like a lowercase t, called a cross. Then they would nail the prisoner's hands and feet to the cross and stick it in the ground, and the prisoner would hang there until they died. I don't think it's ever right for a government to put someone to death, but crucifixion is an especially painful way to kill someone. And the Romans made it that way on purpose. That was how they liked to kill people who rebelled against them, um, crucifying them on the side of the road as an example to anyone who passed by. That would, is what would happen if they rebelled against Rome. And that's what the religious leaders wanted Pilate to do to Jesus. 
Caiaphas cleared his throat and told Pilate, This fellow has been leading our people to ruin by telling them not to pay taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he's our Messiah, a king. You may notice these are not the charges that Caiaphas had brought against Jesus during his trial before the Sanhedrin. The charge they cared about was blasphemy, Jesus claiming to be God, but blasphemy didn't mean anything to Pilate, who did not believe in the Jewish God, so instead Caiaphas needed to accuse Jesus of crimes that would get Pilate's attention, telling the people... Uh, not to pay taxes would be a problem for Rome. Of course, the problem here is that Jesus, if you remember in the story, very deliberately did not tell people not to pay taxes to Rome. Uh, also, claiming to be a king would be a problem with Rome. The, emper the empire was ruled by Caesar, the emperor, and Rome would not accept any king who was not completely under Caesar's control. So Pilate asked, asked Jesus, are you the Jews' Messiah? Jesus answered simply, yes, it is as you say. Pilate said to the religious leaders, Rome does not know or care about your Messiah. It's not a crime to be a Messiah. The conversation was not going the way Caiaphas and his allies wanted to go. They were getting desperate. They said, but he's causing riots against the government everywhere he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Galilee, Pilate exclaimed. He was also not enjoying this conversation. It did not seem like it would end well, no matter what he decided. But he thought he saw a way to get out of it. Jesus' accent sounded Galilean. Pilate asked, is he from Galilee then? Caiaphas nodded yes. Pilate clapped his hands. Excellent, he said. I'm not responsible for ruling Galilee. That's under Herod Antipas's control. And it just so happens he's here in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Very well then, send this guy, Jesus, to Herod and let Herod decide his fate. And so Pilate's soldiers took Jesus across the street to the palace where Herod was staying. Caiaphas and the other religious leaders were uneasy about this. On the one hand, Herod had had John the Baptist's head chopped off, so maybe he could be persuaded to kill Jesus too. On the other hand, the only reason he had John the Baptist's head chopped off was because he got drunk and his girlfriend took advantage of it. Herod was unpredictable. The soldiers brought Jesus before Herod, who happened to be in a wonderful mood that day. He was delighted to see Jesus, whom he had heard a lot about but had never met. He thought maybe Jesus was actually John the Baptist, who he'd killed, who'd come back to life, which doesn't really make any sense because Jesus had been going around doing his thing at the same time Herod had John in prison. And they were like the same age, but whatever. What he really wanted was to see Jesus perform a miracle. It sounded like it would be really entertaining. Caiaphas started to list off the accusations against Jesus, that he was telling people not to pay taxes, that he claimed to be the Messiah, that he wanted to overthrow the government. Herod did not pay any attention to Caiaphas. He got up off his throne and walked close to Jesus, who was standing with his hands tied behind his back. Herod began to ask him question after question. Are you John the Baptist? What kind of miracles can you do? Can you do them for me now? Are you the Messiah? What even is the Messiah? Jesus stayed silent. The religious leaders started yelling in desperation, repeating their accusations. He said not to pay taxes! He's trying to riot against the government! And Herod kept asking questions and then pausing to see if Jesus would do anything. Finally, he got bored of this, so he decided if Jesus would not provide any fun by performing miracles for his entertainment, he would have some fun at Jesus' expense. He told the soldiers to come closer, and the soldiers surrounded Jesus and took turns making fun of him and calling him a king. They had a servant bring out one of Herod's fanciest purple robes. They put it on Jesus so he'd look like a king. But of course, um, eventually Herod also got bored of making fun of Jesus. He had had a very exciting time, but he was tired. 
So he sent Jesus right back across the street to Pilate. Amazingly, the Gospel of Luke says that Pilate and Herod had been enemies before this day because of this whole weird hot potato game with Jesus. They became friends. Aww. So Jesus landed right back where he had been several hours before in Pilate's palace. Pilate felt more friendly toward Herod, but he was still not glad to see Jesus again. He had just received a note from his wife that said, Please leave that good man alone. I had a terrible nightmare about him last night. But as the governor, it was Pilate's responsibility to decide Jesus' fate, and he couldn't figure out how to handle the situation. Despite hearing that Herod had had no luck getting Jesus to speak, Pilate decided to try talk, talking to him. He asked Jesus again, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, Do you mean king as you use the word, or as the Jewish people use it? Do I look like a Jew? Pilate responded, You, your own people and your religious leaders brought you here. Why? What have you done? Jesus said, I'm not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when the religious leaders arrested me. I mean, actually, in fairness, Peter tried. He was just really bad at it. Jesus continued, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate was trying to understand what Jesus meant. A king, but not of this world. Of what world then? But you are a king then? Pilate asked. Yes, said Jesus. I was born for that purpose. You may remember from episode 24, that Jesus' plan was to die as a sacrifice so all the people everywhere could be forgiven for doing things that displeased God. That's why he had wanted to be arrested and executed. Jesus continued, And I came to bring truth to the world. All who love truth are my followers. What is truth? Pilate said. I'm not sure if that was like a serious question or what. Maybe he was being sarcastic or maybe he wanted to know what Jesus thought the truth was. But either way, he didn't wait for an answer. Uh, he went outside to the porch of his palace where the religious leaders had gathered a large crowd of people. Pilate spoke to the crowd. Your leaders brought me this man, accusing him of leading a revolt against the Roman government. I have questioned him thoroughly and find him innocent. Herod also didn't, didn't find that he had committed any crime. I see no reason to kill him, but you have a custom of asking me to release a prisoner each year at Passover. So if you want me to, I'll release this king of the Jews." Pilate thought this was a smart plan. He had heard of the large crowds who'd followed Jesus around and had celebrated his coming to Jerusalem a few days ago. Surely the crowd would be on Jesus' side. If they asked for Jesus to be released, the religious leaders would have to back down, and that would be that, and Pilate could get happily on with his Friday, and his wife would be happy too. Happy wife, happy, happy life. Pilate waited for the crowd to shout, Yes, set Jesus free. But that is not what they shouted. Instead, he heard them say, Give us Barabbas. Set Barabbas free. Barabbas was a man who was being kept in Pilate's prison. He had tried to start a rebellion against Rome, and he had killed several people. Later that same day, Pilate was going to have Barabbas crucified, serving as an example of what happened to those who opposed Rome. And now the crowd was asking for him to be free and not Jesus? Pilate did not understand. And the Gospels don't really explain why the crowd asked for Barabbas, except to say that the religious leaders had worked everyone into a frenzy. Were these some of the same people who had sung Jesus' praises a few days before? Maybe they were. Maybe they had just changed their minds. Maybe they were people who lived in Jerusalem who did not know Jesus very well because he spent most of his time in the countryside. But regardless, they were angry. They were loud. They were right in front of Pilate's house. And they wanted Barabbas, not Jesus. What, what should I do with Jesus, this man you call your king? Pilate demanded. 
The crowd roared, Back away with him! Crucify him! Why? said Pilate. What crime has he committed? They shouted louder, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate was angry. He could understand why Jesus might seem threatening to the religious leaders. He was a threat to their power. But um, why were these ordinary people so bloodthirsty against this popular prophet? The Gospels don't give an answer to this question. Pilate sent Jesus back inside and ordered some of the Roman soldiers to whip him. They twisted some thorns into a crown and put it on Jesus' head and mocked him, calling him a king uh, and just being jerks. Then they brought Jesus back outside. As soon as the crowd saw him, they started yelling, Crucify him! You crucify him! Pilate replied. I already said that I find him not guilty. But they insisted. By our laws, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. Pilate began to be afraid of what the crowd would do. He had a fortress and a company of trained soldiers with weapons, but still, this was a massive crowd of extremely angry people who wanted Jesus dead. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. He felt so far away from understanding what was happening. Jesus was silent. Speak, said Pilate. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or kill you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power at all over me if it weren't given to you from God. So those who brought me to you committed the greater sin. And Pilate was like, didn't understand this, but he couldn't delay any longer. It was time to make his decision. Shall I crucify your king? He asked the crowd. Caiaphas replied, we have no king but Caesar. Now Pilate had seen everything. The Jewish high priest declaring loyalty to the Roman emperor. Pilate ordered his servants to bring him a bowl of water. He took it and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of the blood of this good man, he said. The responsibility is yours. And someone shouted, let the guilt be on us and on our children. So Pilate gave in. He ordered his soldiers to release Barabbas to the crowd as they had requested, and he ordered that they take Jesus away and crucify him. Quick side note, I just want to mention again that this whole account of the way the trial went, with the Jewish people demanding Jesus be killed and Pilate not wanting to give the order, is historically not accurate for how these people would have probably acted based on what we know about the people and how Rome treated people and what Pilate was like. The Gospel writers probably wrote the story this way because they wanted the Jews who didn't believe in their teachings to be held responsible for killing Jesus, and that belief has been passed on throughout many strands of Christianity and continues to this present day. It's anti-Semitic and wrong, and it has led to a lot of horrible things Christians have done to Jewish people. Just FYI, and that's why we keep bringing up this stuff, because, like, it's tied up in this story, this hatred of Jewishness, even as Jesus was Jewish. And it's, or it's horrible. So that's why, that's why I keep interrupting my story to say bits like that. Uh, but anyway... Back to our story, Jesus was marched through the streets of Jerusalem, forced to carry the cross that they were going to kill him on. Five days ago, he had been given a king's welcome into the city with people lining the streets to wave palm branches and shout, Hosanna! And now the streets were filled with angry people shouting, Away with him! Before Jesus had made it out of the city, he stumbled and fell down. So the soldiers grabbed a man standing nearby, whose name was Simon, but not the same as Simon Peter. And they forced this Simon to carry Jesus' cross the rest of the way to the place of the skull. That's what it was called, the place where they were taking Jesus to be crucified. It was a hill, and the Jews called it Golgotha, and the Romans called it Calvary, not Cavalry, which is the word for a military group riding on horses. People mix those up a lot. Um, but, but anyway, Golgotha and Calvary, and both of those names mean the place of the skull. 
The soldiers took Jesus' clothes off him, nailed him to the cross, raised it, and lowered it into a shallow hole to stand upright in the ground, and one of them attached to the cross a sign that Pilate had provided. It was one last bit of sarcastic protest from the Roman governor. It said, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The religious leaders had seen Pilate making the sign and ordering his centurion, that's the leader of the soldiers, to put it on the cross, and they were not happy about it. You wrote it wrong, Caiaphas protested. Don't say, the king of the Jews. Say, he said I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate was just totally done with the whole thing, and all he said was, what I have written, I have written. So that's that, I guess. At the place of the skull, two other men were crucified along with Jesus. They were criminals who had been arrested for stealing things. Maybe they were friends of Barabbas and were scheduled to be executed with him, but Jesus had taken his place. That's symbolic. The Roman soldiers tore Jesus' clothes apart and took a bit of the cloth, but his robe, which was more like an overcoat, was seamless, so they didn't tear it. Instead, they played a dice game to see who would win it, not because they wanted it, just to be cruel and mocking. Jesus spoke a prayer to his God, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was around midday when Jesus was crucified, and soon the people gathered around the cross noticed something very wrong. Just a few moments before, the sun had been shining brightly, but now they couldn't see the sun. The sky became dark as night. More and more people gathered around Jesus' cross to see what would happen. Caiaphas, Annas, and some of the other religious leaders were there. They were not bothered by the darkness and were gloating in their victory. So you're going to destroy the temple in three days, are you? They yelled. If you're the son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? You saved others, but you can't save yourself. You're the king of the Jews, aren't you? You trusted God, so why doesn't God bail you out now? Didn't you tell us you were God's own son? Jesus knew that that was the truth that he believed, that he was the son of God. But at this moment, he could not feel that his father was with him. He quoted a line from one of the songs in the Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Someone standing nearby thought Jesus was calling for the prophet Elijah. The name Elijah has the word for God in it, so they sound similar. The man who heard this ran and got a sponge and soaked it in wine. He put the sponge on a stick and raised it to Jesus' lips to give him some relief. But other people said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Soon after that, Jesus cried out, Father, I commit my spirit to you. And he bowed his head and he died. And um, that was really fast for a crucifixion. At that moment, the crowd began to feel vibrations beneath them. The earth itself was shaking back inside the city of Jerusalem at the temple. The thick, long curtain that separated the temple from the holiest place was split in two from top to bottom. In the hills around Jerusalem, rocks broke in half and some came rolling down the hills. And there were tombs nearby carved in the side of the hills with people buried in them. And the earthquake jolted the tombs open. And that wasn't all. Some people in the tombs came back to life. Several days later, they came out of their tombs and appeared to people all around Jerusalem. Talk about freaky. It sounds like a zombie apocalypse or something. The Bible doesn't say they were zombies, but I mean, who knows? They could have been zombies. Anyways, with that, the earthquake finally ended and the sun finally appeared again too. And everyone was really freaked out, including the soldiers who'd crucified Jesus. The centurion who led them was overwhelmed at what had happened and said, truly, this man was the son of God. With Jesus dead and all the excitement over, most of the people left. But a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea showed up. Not the Joseph whose brother sold him into slavery in Egypt, because that was a really, really long time before. And also not the Joseph who was Jesus' dad. This was yet another Joseph, and he was actually a member of the Sanhedrin, so he was one of the religious leaders, but he was secretly a follower of Jesus. 
And the Gospel of Luke said he had not agreed to the decision to have Jesus killed. So I guess he wasn't there when that happened or something, because it also said that everyone had agreed. Anyway, Joseph had gone to Pilate and asked for permission to take Jesus' body off the cross for burial. Usually the Romans just let the bodies hang there, which is awful, uh, but it was supposed to make everyone more scared of Rome. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead, so he asked the centurion, who confirmed that yes, Jesus had died. So Pilate said that yes, Joseph could take Jesus' body off the cross. Nicodemus, another religious leader, also came with Joseph. Do you remember Nicodemus from episode 9? Long time ago. He was the one who got very confused when Jesus talked about being born again. Maybe he also wasn't there for the vote to have Jesus killed? Not clear on that. Anyway, Joseph and Nicodemus had Jesus' body taken off the cross, wrapped in a long sheet of linen, and buried. They had to work quickly because the next day was the Jewish Sabbath, the day when the law says they cannot do any work of any kind. For Jewish people, the beginning of a new day happens at sundown, and the sun was very low in the sky, so they didn't have much time. Joseph owned a tomb that was very close to the place of the skull, and that was where he buried Jesus. These types of tombs were like caves, little rooms on the sides of the hills. So there was space for people to carry Jesus' body inside, and then they went out and rolled a huge stone across the opening of the tomb to seal it shut, just before the sun went down and the Sabbath, the holy day of rest, began. The religious leaders were happy that their enemy, Jesus, was finally dead, but they were not content. They showed up again at Pilate's palace. What do you want now, he said. Sir, Caiaphas said, trying to be polite after, you know, leading an angry mob to the doors of his palace just a couple hours before, just a few hours before. He said, um, sir, that liar once said, after three days, I'll come back to life again. So we request an order from you sealing the tomb until the third day to prevent his disciples coming and stealing the body and telling everyone he came back to life. If that happens, we'll be even worse off than we were before. Pilate did not share the concerns and was extremely done with the whole thing. Use your temple guards, he said. Surely they can make it safe enough. And so the religious leaders put a special seal on the tomb and set guards around it to make sure no one could get in or out. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so that is all for today. Um, come back on Sunday or I guess Friday if you are on Patreon. If you're one of the supporters on Patreon, um, and we will have the last episode up. Thanks for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is, for now, Darkest Child by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child. <laughs>